Our Lord Jesus Christ is publicly teaching in the temple. He has finished his public teaching and now he travels to the treasury of the temple and he sees a woman and she gives two mites to the Lord in her giving. Mark records this event for us for two reasons, I believe. One, to teach true piety through a poor, humble woman in contrast to the greedy hypocrites of the scribes from the previous section. Second reason is to teach us the correct attitude concerning giving to the Lord. And these two lessons are not mutually exclusive. For in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ unites piety and giving money together. What you do with your money, how you view your finances, how you give, reveals your piety and heart before God. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, he says there are religious people who give much for charitable things, arms and such things. But they do it to be seen of men and they have their reward. And therefore when we give, do it privately, secretly, so no one sees but God. Or later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, wherever your heart is, that's your treasure. So whatever's on your heart, whatever you love most, whatever you're seeking, that's your treasure. And he says, ye cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot serve God in finances. So if your heart is set upon money and finances and riches and wealth and enjoyment and abundance of it, will you serve mammon and not God? And so our piety is not demonstrated merely by prayer or fellowship and these things, though they are, they are, but also in addition including how we use our money. So let us learn of this poor, humble woman in our piety, how do we give? To the Lord. And our three headings this morning are thus one, Christ and the treasury, two, Christ and the givers, three, Christ and his disciples. So, first of all, Christ and the treasury. You'll remember that in the temple it is separated by various uh, courts. The outer court is the court of the Gentiles where anyone and everyone can attend. Then inwardly there's the court of women. Here only Jewish men and women can enter. But beyond the court of women, no woman is allowed to enter. Only the men. Then further in we have the court of Israel where all men are permitted to come. And then the final court is the court of priests, where only the priests are permitted to enter. Jesus Christ was publicly preaching in the outer court of the Gentiles because he wants everyone and everyone, everyone and anyone to hear his truth. But then he leaves the court of the Gentiles and he comes into the court of the women We know this because that's where the treasury was situated. And he sees the treasury and there's seating or some form of space and he sits opposite the treasury. The temple treasury is the place where Israel and the Jews would come to give their tithings, gifts and offerings unto the Lord. 
And this temple treasury is instituted for us in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 7. Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense and so on. This teaches us four things about the givings of Israel. First and foremost, it's worship. Bring me an offering. Bring me an offering. That's worship language. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, When you Israelites come before me in my presence to worship me at the temple... Do not appear empty-handed. Bring your food, your money, your resources, and bring me an offering. This offering is not to be given out of mere command and obedience. It says, willingly with his heart. The heart's engaged. The heart believes and confesses and loves and rejoices God. The heart is full of communion and fellowship with God. The heart is full of praise and thanksgiving towards God and therefore out of the heart willingly gives an offering to the Lord. In the time of Exodus, we don't have Uh, currency as we know it. So of everything that they may possess, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple, and then elsewhere in Deuteronomy, animals and harvests, bring that. Of everything you have, give a tenth, a tithe. And that's not what's expected, more than that is expected. Other gifts and free will offerings are expected. God has given 100% to you. He can claim 100%, but he requires a tenth and whatever your heart freely desires to offer. And it says in the immediate context of Exodus 25, it's to provide the full ministry of the temple, oil for the lamp. The, the spices for the anointing oil, uh, for the sweet incense and so on and so forth. So this finances, these, this money, these tithes and gifts and offerings were to go to God for his ministry. They were to fully support the Levites and all their families. The Levites, as you know, did not have an inheritance of the Lord in terms of land. They couldn't work that land and receive that land, but rather the offerings were to fully support the Levites and their families. The very upkeep and the building of the tabernacle then the temple was to be provided from tithes and offerings. Maybe weather would come in and there'd be chips in the walls. Maybe a, a pillar would, would fall down or bend. Uh, Maybe the altar needs to be fixed. Who's going to pay for it? It's the offerings and tithings. And what about all the the things you need in the wood and the incense and the fragrances? Who's going to pay for that? It's the tithes and the offerings and the gifts that would pay for it. But in Deuteronomy 14, it also teaches us that the poor in Israel, the vulnerable, They had no welfare then. Therefore, they were to come to the temple and out of the temple tithes, there's a mercy ministry to relieve the poor. And this all applies to us today in the New Testament church. Nothing has stopped. Nothing has ceased here in terms of the substance. Giving to God is first and foremost Worship. 
That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Why in the first day of the week? Acts 20, verse 7, because you gather to publicly worship God. And just as Israel, they would come to the temple, they would go to the treasury, they would put their tithes and gifts and their offering in the treasury, and then they would enter the service and worship God. So in the New Testament church, every first day of the week we come, we give our finances, our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, and then we enter the service of the Lord. When you give money, are you doing it out of mere obedience? Are you doing it in a mechanical expected, routine kind of way? Don't, do you even, are you unthinking when you just, that's it. Giving to the Lord is an offering. Giving to the Lord is an act of holy worship. When you give to the Lord, are you worshipping God? As you put in your gifts, is your heart so full of gratitude for what God has given you? The willingness of your heart is abounding and there's a praise and a song in your soul and you are worshipping him as you give your tithes, gifts and offerings. And just as the temple was maintained in the New Testament, the gospel ministry is maintained. Tithes, offerings and gifts go first and foremost for the gospel. For the saving of souls from translating sinners from death to life and seeing men, women and children discipled in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God being built up in our most holy faith and dying well. And this is done, as Paul says, through the ministry where ministers are to live off the gospel. Meaning, through the tithes and offerings and the gifts of the saints who love the gospel and value the gospel, they give their finances to God and it fully supports the minister and his family. And the tithes and offerings go to the full ministry of the church. Wherever it's uh, educating our children with Sabbath school, or catechizing them. Or resources to meet and gather and be in a good conducive place for worshipping and learning the things of God. Or whether it's helping people in need and the poor with a, a vital mercy ministry. But you notice here what Christ is doing. He sits opposite the treasury and he's watching them. It says, He sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. He is watching and looking intently how they put in their money. Now, why would Jesus Christ be doing this? Quite simply because he's God. God cares about how we use our money and how we give to him. And he's either pleased or displeased how 
we give our money. Now, we live in 2021. And because of various things, we're often very uncomfortable talking about money in worship. It's unspiritual. Or you have the health, wealth and prosperity gospel and therefore pendulum swing, never ever talking about it. But if we're actually biblical Christians and not just made up Christians in our own mind, we know that in the Bible it says a lot about money. We've already seen how in Exodus chapter 25, it's worship, it's an offering. And we're not to come empty. And God says, if you come empty, and if you're not giving money in a worshipful spirit, it is disobedience and it is sin against me in worship. And therefore, if you desire to worship me rightly, you will not appear empty and not only that even if you do give it's not enough to give it must flow from a heart of thankfulness and praise that's why in Malachi chapter 3 he comes and he says I'm displeased with you Israel why God why are you displeased with Israel Malachi 3 8 will a man rob God Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? How has Israel robbed God? In tithes and offerings. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, I am not blessing you, Israel. Because you're robbing me of what is due to me, the tithes and offerings. And so when we are not giving in the right manner, in the right spirit, God says to Israel and he says to us, I withhold the window of blessing from you. And then Jesus Christ taught a lot about money. Like if you're someone who's read the Gospels, your, your Christian life, you know how much Jesus speaks about money. Especially in the Gospel according to Luke. For example, in Luke chapter 12, he comes with the parable of the rich fool. There's a man, he's a farmer. There's an abundant harvest. He's got so much harvest that even his barns aren't big enough to store it. So he tears down the barns and builds bigger ones. Now, does he use this resource for God? Does he, does he help the poor? Does it go to ministry? No, he keeps it for himself. Take ease, O soul. Eat, drink, be merry, have a great life. Enjoy yourself. And one night God comes to him and says, I require your soul. And you're going to hell. And Jesus says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So if we're not rich towards God in our finances, we're like the man building up barns and storehouses for ourselves. Or Luke chapter 16. First of all, we have the parable of the unjust steward. And read that for yourself in your own time. But the point of this, is, is, as Jesus Christ says, is this. If you are faithless over little, you're faithless over much. If you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, if we are not godly with our finances, we're not going to be godly in other areas of our lives. We can claim to be holy and pious in many acts of piety, like prayer and the word and fellowship, and have eloquent language like the scribes and the Pharisees. 
But if we are not using our wealth in a godly way, Jesus says you're unfaithful. Oh, the rich man and Lazarus, what's that about? It's not about hell. Does it teach hell? Oh, yes. But what's it about? It's about how you use your money. Read Luke 16 yourself. You see, there's a rich man. He's dressed in fine purple clothing. He eats sumptuously all day long. But there's a poor man, Lazarus. He's desperately poor. Even the dogs are licking his sores. And the rich man does nothing about it. He doesn't help. And then he goes to hell. Jesus is teaching in that entire chapter. It's about how we use our money. And so because Jesus Christ is God, he's watching and seeing and looking at how the people are giving. Because piety and giving are connected. Matthew Henry Our Lord Jesus takes notice of what we contribute to pious and charitable uses, whether we give liberally or sparingly, whether cheerfully or with reluctance and ill will. Nay, he looks at the heart. He observes what principles we act upon and what our views are and whether we do it as unto the Lord or only to be seen of men. And when Jesus Christ was raised and ascended on high as Lord of all and the King of his church, he's watching because he's present in worship. He's seeing us sing and praise him and read the word and preach the word and how we respond to these things. And he's also watching how we give. He was watching Ananias and Sapphira as they promised one thing and gave another and he killed them both. And in every congregation of his people, he comes and he watches them. How are you worshipping me? How are you giving me? Are you frugal or tight-fisted or generous and willing? Are you giving the minimum or are you liberal? Are you hoarding or are you helping? Is there mere obedience or is there heart worship? Christ is watching how we give. And as he watches, his eyes turn to two contrasting people. First of all, the rich. He beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. These are Jews. They believe in Jehovah. They believe in the law of God. And God has given them riches, wealth, goods, property. And it says they gave much. In other words, they were putting in the treasury large amounts. Large amounts. They're tithing, if you like, to use language, $1,500 per week. They're they're tithing $10,000 per week. They're they're giving offerings of $100,000 or a million dollars. These are large amounts of money. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. Nothing wrong at all. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labour, this is the gift of God. It's God's gift if someone's rich. Socialism, communism is completely antithetical to the Bible, and this anti-rich, as if rich in and of itself is wrong, is an unbiblical worldview, even though it's incredibly popular today. But Paul says, when you are rich, this is what you are to do. 1 Timothy 6.17 Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in certain uncertain riches. So don't trust in your wealth. Don't be idolatry to them. 
but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they may do good. That they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So if you have riches, enjoy your riches and give them to people. Communicate. And that's what these Jews are doing. They have riches and therefore they're giving large amounts to the treasury. But secondly, he notices a woman. Forty-two. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a father. This woman's a widow. She has no husband. But she's not the kind of widows that the scribes in verse 40 seek to devour. Because the scribes seek to devour the widow's homes who have money and wealth. This is a widow who is poor. The word poor here means someone who is dependent on others for living. She's at the very bottom of the barrel when it comes to poverty. And she is so poor, she only gives two mites. And here, um, Mark is writing to the Roman church, and he wants to translate the currency. And so when it says farthing, it's actually a Roman word that comes from Latin, a quadrant. So these two mites equate a quadrant so that they know. So if I said like 50 pounds to you, I would say what I mean is 70 dollars, that sort of thing. What are two mites? Well, the word might comes from the word which means lifter. That's where we get the word leaf from. It's a very small, very thin copper coin. It's the lowest currency in circulation. It's the lowest amount possible to give. One might is one 128th of a denarii. A denarii is one one day's wage of a labourer. And so whatever an ordinary labourer earns, one might is one 128th of that day's wage. Extremely small. And that's why often people want to uh, translate it for our times to say two cents. But actually it's probably worth lower than a cent put together. So here this poor, poor woman and it says she gives her two cents. Now children, what is more? Two cents or two thousand dollars? Well, you would say that's an easy question, isn't it? Two thousand dollars is clearly much, much more than two cents. But when it comes to giving, that's not always the case. Because Jesus says this woman's two mites are more than the large amounts of giving. From the rich people. He says in verse 33. And he called unto him his disciples. And said unto them. Verily. Amen. Truly. I say unto you. This poor widow. Hath cast more in. Than all they. Which have cast into the treasury. How? For. Because. All they did cast in of their abundance. Abundance means excess. Surplus. It was their pocket change, metaphorically speaking. It was nothing to them. A billionaire gives ten grand. 
10 grand seems like a lot of money to many of us. It's nothing to him. It doesn't cost them much. It's just simply what they have lying around. It's their excess, their surplus. But in comparison, she of her want, her lack, did cast in all that she had. Now, usually be a full stop here, but the Holy Spirit wants us to really know what's going on. All that she had, even all her living. Living there is a particular word. It means that which sustains physical life. She gave everything she had that would sustain her physical life. She didn't give excess. She didn't give surplus. She didn't give something that was lying around. She gave God everything she had and needed for physical life. She gave to God. And therefore, her two mites are more to Jesus Christ than two million dollars. And Jesus Christ wants us to learn about this woman. Because in verse 43, look, he's sitting looking at her. He sees her. And then he calls his disciples to come near. Come and see this woman. See what she is doing. And implicitly from the text, learn from her. And what do we learn from her? Three things. First, giving comes from the heart. Giving comes from the heart. This woman is coming to the place of worship. She is giving God her offering. And everything she has, two mites, she gives to God. She is personifying Exodus 25.1. What it said, which we read, willingly of the heart, here she is. This is what it looks like, giving to God of your heart. And though the word faith is not used, because Mark generally does not use the word faith, faith is clearly seen. Just as the word God is never used in Esther, your God's in every chapter. Faith is in this woman's heart. She has physical life, she needs to live, and she gives it up to give God her two mites. Matthew Henry Christ commended her liberality and her willingness to depart with what little she had for the glory of God, which proceeded from a belief and dependence on God's providence to take care of her. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's how you give. That's how you give. It begins with the heart inwardly. It is the, the, the man or woman of God who has faith, who trusts in God as Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for me. He gives me it. Therefore, I respond in worshipful giving. And that's exactly where Paul goes in 2 Corinthians 8. He doesn't just say, Lord, tithe, give money. There's a, there's a need in Jerusalem. Give money. He, he doesn't. He goes to the heart. Remember, Christian. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he begins, he says, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. God has been abundantly kind and good to the church of Macedonia. How did they respond to the grace of God? Out of their poverty and affliction, not in their riches, their poverty. They are bounded unto the riches of liberality. Isn't that beautiful? Because the grace of God is upon them, 
even though they're poor and being afflicted, they are rich in their givings. What grace would move such poor people to give so abundantly? Christ. Christ. Verse 9. For the grace of God our Lord ye know. You don't just know it in the mind. You know it in the heart. You know it by experience. You've felt, you've touched, you've tasted, you've depended upon, you lived, you love, you believe in the grace of our Lord. That though he was rich in heaven, king, God, splendid, blessed, majestic, Yet he, for your sakes, your eternal soul, your salvation, became poor. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He was not born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He was born in a place fit for animals. When he died, did he have his own tomb? No, it was at the charity of another he was buried. And his poverty, including the eternal, infinite wrath of God upon him as the propitiation for our sins. He became poor so that we might be rich through his poverty. You have everything now. You have every spiritual blessing. You have perfect righteousness. You have God the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You have the Holy Spirit bringing the love of the Father into your soul and giving you liberty in prayer as you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. You are the sons of God. You inherit all things. You have received the riches of the inheritance in the saints. You have unsearchable riches in Christ. You have eternity of Emmanuel's land. A land flowing of milk and honey. Nothing compared to the celestial city to come. Types and shadows and figures. Nothing compared to the riches of the glory to come. All yours. And therefore by faith I give. I might be poor and afflicted like Macedonia. I might be poor like this widow. But I give by faith. But what if I need to live? I have faith. Matthew 6, 25-33 Take no care about what you're going to eat. Take no care about your clothing. Trust in God. Trust in God. Look at the fields. Look at the lilies. Look at the plants. Are they not dressed? God values you more than these fields. He'll dress you. The birds, the animals, the beasts of the field, they eat and they're filled. God values you more than all these animals. He'll take care of you. Therefore, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what this woman is doing out of a heart of faith. She's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And therefore she's giving her best to the Lord. That's how we are to give. It's a heart of faith. It's in response to the grace of Jesus Christ. It's willing It's abounding for God. Is this you? Is this me? By the grace of God, let it be so. Think and meditate on the grace of God in your life. Think how eternally rich you are, how good and faithful he is to you. And then open your heart and give him by faith. Then second lesson, we are to give proportionately, proportionately. Now, if you're a health and wealth prosperity preacher, you could so abuse this text. 
She gave all her living. See, that's what the Bible says. The Bible's inerrant. Thus saith the Lord, all her living. So if you're faithful now, go into your bank accounts, go into your savings and give all your living to the church now. That's abuse. If it gets the entire Bible. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 21 says that a wise man stores. He saves. Like the ant. We are to pay for our living, clothing and food. Support our children, such and so forth. This is not... Narrative means normative, but narrative does not always mean normative. This is not teaching a faithful Christian must give absolutely every penny they ever have. You'd have no food and you'd die. This is teaching proportion. Proportion. These rich people gave large, large amounts, but in proportion it was nothing. This woman has extremely very Little, she gave large proportion. That's the principle that continues. And this is consistent with Scripture. For example, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8.15, which we read. Uh, verse 12, sorry. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to the man hath not. God's not judging you by the portion, but the proportion. It's not about the amount. It's about the proportion that you give him. He is saying, God is not judging you by what money you don't have. He's judging you by the money you do have. And when you give out of the heart of faith and proportion it, God in Jesus Christ is very pleased. That is a great encouragement for Christians. Because they love the Lord, they desire the gospel to flourish, they want to support missions, but they just do not have the finances. And when they hear of this person and that person giving large amounts, they just feel like they're useless and worthless. Jesus Christ says no, wrong thinking. You can be poor as dust and you give just two mites, two cents into the chest. And if that's your due proportion, you have given more proportionately than a millionaire who gave ten grand. The world can be so impressed by Jeff Bezos, he gave a billion dollars to the Amazon. Wow! Christ says, I'm very unimpressed. He gave a billion. He's worth 202 billion and his wealth is going up. That's nothing proportionately. But a man or a woman on minimum wage and they're giving 200 per week or something like that, proportionately, he is more pleased. I heard an illustration this week. Westminster Theological Seminary, Philadelphia. As you can imagine, they have large, large donations. But on their wall was no millionaire. It was a woman called Fanny Mulder. She was a poor woman. But when she died, she so valued gospel ministry, she wanted her money, her stuff, to go all to the seminary. This is what she left the seminary. Six robes, two sweaters, five pairs of socks, 19 hospital gowns, a thimble, a toothbrush, a comb, a broken radio and 12 cents. And Jesus Christ says, that is an abundant giving. She had such faith and love to God Everything she had, she wanted to go to God and Christ's cause. And for her, that was training men for the ministry. So everything she had, she gave to Westminster Seminary. That's an encouragement for us all who think we're doing nothing because we're not rich. 
if you're giving in proportion, Christ is very pleased with you. Thirdly and lastly, we are to give sacrificially. The giving of the rich men cost them nothing. What's ten grand for a millionaire? Nothing. What's a woman who's poor giving her whole life's substance to God? That's costly. That's sacrificial. And God wants us to give not bare minimum, but sacrificially to God. Matthew Henry very challengingly says, Charity, that's giving, is to be judged of not by what is given, but by what is left. Because it reveals what do you truly value. Comfort, gadgets, all these wonderful things. You know, the gospel ministry for God. Just a little bit of sight. I remember someone who... uh, Hemingway's family gave a lot. They weren't rich or that, but they gave a lot and um, lost their job. Lost their job. But the church was not in a financial position to fully support the minister. And they prayed about it and they prayed about it and they decided not to reduce their giving. And they put it to God to provide. And it took a few months, I believe, for God to provide. But in the end, he did. And even though they could not afford it, so to speak, they gave sacrificially. That is not an application to say, therefore, you must do the same. That's not the point here. Just like this woman's point is not to give everything. It's the principle I'm applying. The principle, costly and sacrificially. Because you love God, you love Christ, you love the ministry, you love missions, you love mercy ministry, you give sacrificially. And the problem with the church is when the church does not give sacrificially, the house of God is reduced. You remember Haggai chapter 1, where it says, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in the sealed houses? And this house lie waste. Now therefore thus saith the Lord. Consider your ways or consider your heart. The temple was not built. The temple was lying in ruins. But everyone else had their nice homes. And God is chastening him saying. You value your own homes more than the house of God. And so when the church fails to give sacrificially. The church falters. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on this passage, he says, How do you know the church is not giving sacrificially? The proof of this is to be seen in the meagre and sparing contributions which are yearly made by Christ's church to do good. The proof is to be seen in the miserably small incomes of all the missionary societies in proportion to the wealth of the churches. The proof is to be seen in the long annual lists of self-complacent subscribers of whom many could easily give hundreds of pounds more. The stinginess and the stinginess of professing Christians in all matters which concern God and religion is one of the crying sins of the day and one of the worst signs of the times. And he goes on to speak about how churches can't have ministers, church plants can't have Etc., etc., etc. And so when churches are not given sacrificially but bare minimum, the ministry will fail. Congregations won't be able to fully support ministers. They won't even be able to have a minister. Or a minister needs to be a tent maker. Or there's not enough finances to educate the children. Or for mercy ministry, there's not enough money to give to missions and to have the gospel go throughout the world. Because Christians prefer their own homes than to the house of God. But we need to learn from this woman. We need to give of the heart, proportionately and sacrificially. And when we do, God's pleased with it and rewards it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. 
He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. Now, I'm not here as a pastor saying, I don't think people are giving sacrificially, therefore give sacrificially. That's not what I'm doing. What so ever. I'm simply coming to the text, praying over the text, studying the text, and applying the text. I have no idea what people are giving and not giving. I have no idea. I don't look. I don't have any means of looking. I don't look at anyone's. I do not have a clue. And I'm not assuming. I'm simply applying the text. And let the Holy Spirit deal with your own conscience individually. Let our piety and our giving reveal we're God's. And shores were God's. That God loves a cheerful giver. He loves those who sow much and reap much. Not seed little and reap little. And I'm not even going to caveat this against health and wealth heresy. Because it's in the Bible. So for myself, for yourself as an individual... How are we giving to God? What are we loving? What are we valuing? Let us all follow this godly woman. Let us give to God out of our hearts. Let us give to God proportionately. And let us give to God sacrificially. So that his glory abounds. The whole ministry is fully supported in all its areas. And where we sow abundantly, God promises by his grace, we will reap abundantly. That doesn't mean you give your two dollars, ka-ching, it's like some divine stock market and you get two hundred dollars. That's the heresy, heresy of the prosperity gospel. Our giving could be the reception of more power of the Spirit, more happiness and joy in the gospel, more humility, more contentment, more holiness, more maturity. These things are the blessing of the Lord. And yet, how many people can say when things were tight, they tithed? When things were tight, they gave. And what was in providence? A deal here. A help there, a discount there, a provision here and a provision there. And God was saying, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you because you're my child. So let us all learn from this widow and our two mites. Let us pray.